just a couple of reminders following what Jess said a little bit earlier that tonight, 5 o'clock, um, at the amphitheater on the green in Tiffin, kind of downtown Tiffin near Heidelberg, uh, 5 o'clock, we're having a Grace Music live there. Thank you to enjoy it. Bring your family, free kettle corn. It'll be a great time together, so don't, don't forget that. And then also next Sunday is baptism. So if you've come to the place in your life where you've put your trust in Christ, maybe you've done that last month or over the last month or two or maybe over the last year, well, the next step for you is that you would follow the Lord in believer's baptism, get dunked underwater, and uh, that's Jesus' idea. And so if you want to be a part of that, we need you to grab a card and put your name, phone number, and then baptism and turn that into the information a table here right outside these doors so we can contact you. We just want to talk to you a little about, tell you how to be involved next Sunday morning. And there's one more thing. Some things have been happening locally, but uh, we have a member of our church that is a leader in our church as well as a leader in our community, Tom Price. And uh, he's on the school board and he caught some heat recently. And I just got to tell you, I appreciate his leadership and all that he's done for our city and also for our schools. So we want to encourage him. He, he was in last service. Uh, he may still be in the building, but we want to encourage him. Today, we are starting a new series called Family Hacks. And we're using the word hacks, we're defining that, because that can be defined several ways. Uh, we're using that in the sense of a, a tool or technique that simplifies or makes more effective a task that you're doing. So something that helps you, a shortcut, a tool or a technique that makes something easier or more efficient. And today, as we talk about family hacks, we're specifically zeroing in on parenting. So today is for anyone who is a parent or anybody who feels the weight of, of responsibility for raising a child or even helping to raise that child, parents, grandparents, people who hope to be parents someday, this is for you. So we want you to, to tune in and we should feel the weight of that because parenting is so important. And that's especially true today because there's a parenting crisis in America. So our country recently did a census and according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, that's one in four, live without any type of father in the home. Not a dad or a stepdad or an adoptive father, nothing. And research shows, and I go, and that's just fatherhood. There's also homes without mothers. But uh, the research shows that there's a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America. So all the, the chaos that we see and the trouble and the problems we see, a lot of that just boils right down to the father factor. That's what researchers are telling us. So when a child is raised, for example, in a father-absent home, uh, he or she's affected in these ways. They're more likely to go to prison, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to experience abuse, abuse and neglect, more likely to have behavioral problems. There are three times at greater risk of infant mortality, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. That would be for the daughters, and we have to make that clear these days. And then four times greater risk of poverty. All these things, father absent homes. Parenting 
is huge. Our kids need effective parenting. And, and we as believers, not that I'm assuming everybody here is a believer, but those of us who are believers, we believe that God created us. And then at the very beginning of creation, God established the family with Adam and Eve. One man for one woman for life, you know, ideally. And so that's Genesis 2.24. And then out of this union comes children. Now, the family is already established with marriage, but then children are a welcome addition to the family. And so uh, it makes sense that if God created us and he sort of set the bounds for family, that he would also give us the information that we need as parents, and he does. And, And we do need it. Even if we pay a lot of attention to our parenting, even if we, if we think we got it down, uh, we can, by the way, those of you who are parents, you've been parents, how many of you have ever uh, been in a public place, maybe you're at a restaurant, maybe you're at you know, some fancy dinner or something, and then your kids were doing something and it got a little out of control, and you're sitting there, and you started questioning your own parenting skills. That happened to anybody? I mean, that's, that's happened to me, too. And so God is giving us what we need. And basically today, I just want to outline three truths about parenting from God's Word. I'm just pulling out three of them, three broad, general truths from God on parenting. Number one, children are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. In Psalm 127, verse 3, here's here's what it says. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Not fruit of the loom, but fruit of the womb is a reward. Children, a reward. And children are a blessing, not a burden. And by the way, not everybody gets the blessing of children. Not everybody gets the privilege of becoming a parent. As a matter of fact, let me clue you into something. We have a couple in our church um, named Carl and Brooke, who they're a young couple, they've been unable to have kids, and they're in the adoptive process. And they're very plugged into grace. They serve here. They're actually not here today, but you know they're here almost every Sunday. They, something came up today, and they don't know that we're doing this. But what I would like to do today is a dollar club to help them adopt a child. So here, here's a deal. Now, yeah, isn't that a great idea? Are you with me? Are you backing me up here? Okay, we'll see how much you back me up in a minute. But uh, so... Adopting a child can be very expensive. I, I think they said, you know, with everything total, is about a $40,000 thing. They've raised about half of that money. And so I thought we would try to help them along in that by doing Dollar Club. Now, for those of you who are new, Dollar Club is something we do once in a while, every couple of months or so, where we pick a project. A lot of times it has to do with refugees in third world countries, but this is right here at home where we we pick a project and then we realize if we all kick in a little, if we all give, if we all participate, we can make a huge difference. So here are some ways that you can give to Dollar Club. Uh, If you're tech-minded, you can go to your church center app. And then if you go to our campus, it'll give you a bunch of options. Go to giving at the very bottom, and then it'll give you these options. And it's so Dollar Club at the Fremont campus, and then you can plug in whatever gift you want to give. 
You can do text to give, which is text 84321. And then you put in the dollar amount there and uh, you can give that way. Or, you know, I, I, I'll confess to you, I just tried to do that, the text to give. And it, wasn't, it said, your credit card's good, but we're not, you know, or we just do it the old-fashioned way. You can write a check or if you have cash, if you grab one of those white envelopes on the chair rack in front of you, but you need to write on that envelope adoption. And, and if it's cash, if you put your name on it, then, then you know, you get a tax receipt for that. But uh, put adoption so we know it's not regular offering and all that money that comes in, we'll give to them. Then what we're going to do is we'll surprise them with it. If it's still a surprise, they may have heard by now. But uh, We'll, we'll surprise them with it, and then we'll get back to you next week. So right now, if you could kind of jump in on that dollar club, and we'll tell you the results next week. That sound good? All right. You coming back next week to hear about that? All right. Great. Great. It's a plan then. Great. So children are a gift. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, they're also a challenge. You know, their work, they take effort. And I know that because... Pam and I have raised three kids who have all become successful adults. They're all uh, living for Christ, which is the most important thing to us. And then secondarily, they all married people who were living for Christ, which is the second most important thing to us. And, and now they, they, two of our three kids have had children. And so now Pam and I have six grandchildren and one on the way. Six, like five and under, and then we got one on the way. And we do... Uh, babysitting periodically. And I say we kind of in a broad term because basically Pam's doing all the work there. You just got to understand that. Sometimes, most of the time I'm not even there. You know, I'm working. But so Pam does a lot of babysitting uh, sometimes for occasional things. And then I help. And here's the big th the takeaway from Pam and I sort of trying to help parent another generation. Our big takeaway is this. There's a reason that it's typically people who are in their 20s and 30s that have children. That, that's what we've learned. Because it takes so much effort and energy, it can wear you out. I mean, it takes some work. And so we're, we're kind of doing that, helping out. You have kids running around. They, you know, it, it's just amazing. How, and I could tell you some stories, but I'm going to try not to do that. But anyway, continuing in Psalm 127, the psalmist says this. After he says kids are a blessing of the Lord, he says this. Talking about children. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And so, interestingly, the psalmist says, hey, children, multiple children, like arrows in a quiver. And now I've been kind of acquainted with arrows now. Some of you know uh, a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Idaho bow hunting for elk. Okay, so did that for like two weeks all through the mountains, bow hunting for elk. There were actually seven of us who had tags for elk. We were in two different camps, two different units that we were hunting, but they were next to each other. And uh, only two guys got elk. And guess what? I was not one of them. Hunted for two weeks, no meat. By the way, Jake Wookie, my son-in-law, was also along with that hunt. And guess what? Yeah, he got one. Right. He got a big bull. So where's Jake at? Yeah, he's right over here. He's got the bragging rights. He is, he's not just a good shot. He is a very good hunter. 
Me, I'm more of a hunter. I'm just not a killer. You know, I, I hunt around for them, but I actually don't really kill anything. But anyway, so I found my niche. So that's great. But what I found as we were getting ready for bow hunting is, is I, I was working with Jake on getting some arrows together. And Jake, he kind of builds these arrows. And so he got some arrows for me and then he started putting them together. And then what I've realized during that is arrows are, are all, there's all different kinds of arrows. I mean, you know, you have wooden arrows like for kids, but then you have aluminum arrows and carbon-based arrows and then arrows that are mixed in, in how they're built and they're different diameters that you can use and different strengths and weights you can use. And then the tips have all different weights. And then the broadhead, you have to practice with that because that's a little different than a field point. And on and on it goes. And then there's the fletching and Jake actually fletches his own arrows. And so you can put big fletching or little fletching, you know, and he does that. And then, you know, and then there's the whole thing of the colors of the fletching and maybe the stripes on the arrow so you can identify your arrow and all that stuff. So he did all that stuff. So I learned about arrows. And as a matter of fact, Jake, he spun my arrows, which means he found the best five arrows of all the arrows that I had that he was kind of getting for me. He found the best five, he fletched them, and then with a little number on one fin of the fletching, he wrote one through five. So I would know which was the best arrow and the second best. And, and so here's what, here's what I think the rider's getting at. First of all, Children, like arrows, they're all different, right? But they're also an advantage. They go where we can't go. They sort of go beyond us. We launch them beyond ourselves. And I, I wouldn't recommend the numbering of children, the best to the worst. I, you know, that part I would kind of leave out. But, you know, I had that. And so I lined those up in my quiver. One, two, three, four, five. I knew my best arrow was right there. And I may share some stories about that later. But anyway, because one, that number one arrow drew some blood. But anyway, but I did not come back with any meat. So every child's unique. Every child is different. Pam and I discovered that with our kids. You relate to them a little differently. You speak to their heart a little bit differently. And then our grandkids, it's the same way. So different types of arrows, but when you're elk hunting, there's only one target. It's called an elk. One target. That's what you're trying to do. All that focus there. So what's the target? Well, children are a gift from God. And so the target, the way we launch them, is that they would acknowledge God, that they would come to God. It's like Jesus says in Matthew 6:33, "But seek you first, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things, all these things will be added to you." And that's not intuitive for us, because we tend to get distracted by seeking our own thing and doing our own stuff. C.S. Lewis had an amazing quote about this verse. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. That's a great quote. One of my favorite verses regarding this, pointing your children to Christ, is 3 John 1.4. Here's what it says. I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, that to hear my children walking in the truth. What a gift from God. Um, children are a gift, and we're reminded, if you think about gifts, 
Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes it's, I feel really awkward accepting a gift. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I'm not a good gift receiver. Uh, just not good at it. it. It feels weird to me. It's, it's awkward. But what I, one thing that I've noticed is the greater the gift, the greater the responsibility you feel. You know, to acknowledge it, to take care of it, all these things. Well, here, children are this gift from God, and we're, we have this huge responsibility. Children are a gift, but then the next thing, these next two points are about our responsibility in light of the gift that God has given us. So that's what I want to talk about. Now, our responsibility is twofold. These are our next two points. And one is this. It's our responsibility that children must be taught. Our children, it's our responsibility to teach our children. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about that, and it's in one of the most foundational passages of all the Bible. And the passage I'm going to go to is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you, just, if you could just remember where that was, that's Moses um, led the children out of Egypt, so out of slavery, and then they're getting ready to go into the promised land that they had already had, but God's promising them they're going to go back there. It's been 400 years. And then God gives Moses the law. And then in the very heart of the law is Deuteronomy 6. And here's what it says in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, this is interesting because 1,500 years later when Jesus comes, Jesus affirms this is the most important command. Of all the commandments, this is number one. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. He said it different ways. That's what he's saying. And so what we notice there, and then he talks about parenting next. But before we get there, I just want, want you to notice before he even gets to parenting, he's saying these commands must be on our hearts first. Loving God with our heart, soul, might is our greatest command. And so it's got to be in us first. Follow, we know as believers, those of us who are believers, we know that being a believer helps us to be a parent, a better parent. Because following Christ teaches us how to more and more love others self-sacrificially, where we love others without expecting anything back. We just love, not as an exchange, just self-sacrificial love. And so as a believer, we learn more and more how to do that, and that is great for parenting. So while I was in the mountains, and it's kind of my habit when I'm in the mountains, is uh, you're away from running water and stuff, or, or I am, but there's usually a creek nearby. And so I have the habit that I wash up in a creek rather than not wash. Even though it's cold, I like to wash up in a creek because I feel grungy. I like to wash. And so it, in this case, when we were camping, the creek that we were by was a real small creek. You couldn't really get in it except for ankle deep. But it was enough of a creek that I could wash up. I could rinse out my shirts, hang them up because you're sweating all the time. Everything's dirty, you know, and, and I would just wash up that way. But anytime you do that, anytime you wash up in a creek or in a river, 
I always think of one thing, and you could probably guess. You're washing up in the river. What are you thinking about? I wonder what's upstream. You ever think that? You know, here I am washing in this water. I wonder what's upstream. You don't want to go around a bend and see an, you know, whatever. You just, you, you, you know, what's upstream? Well, it's the same way with parenting that God's saying, hey, I'm going to give you some instructions on parenting. But the first thing is you need to have my commands in your heart. Because out of our heart flows from our life. So our kids are downstream for us, and they're going to catch what flows out of our heart, whether we like it or not. Because how many times have you been with your child, or they did something or said something that you knew that they were mimicking you, but you were horrified? (gasps) You know, that is not the right context to say that, or, you know, whatever the case may be. That happens. That they pick up what's coming from our lives. So here's the thing. Along with this, it's got to be on us first, is that we need to keep God at the center of our lives. And here's why I'm saying that. Because a lot of parents, especially new parents, their temptation is to put their children in the center of their lives. And I know that sounds kind of right. But I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to mess up your kids. Because if you put kids in the center, then all of a sudden children realize that everything revolves around them, including mom and dad. And then children grow up realizing that they could pit mom against dad or dad against mom because their relationship primarily is with them. That is not healthy for kids. You're already a family at marriage. Children are a welcome addition. But at the center always has to be God, Christ at the center, not our children, or we will mess them up by doing that. So we love God and others first. So we got to get that in us. And then the second thing when it comes to teaching children, then we need to teach children truth. And that's how Deuteronomy continues in the next verse, which is verse 7 of chapter 6. It says, you shall teach them diligently, what? These laws, these truths, this love, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So here he's telling us, parent, it's your responsibility to teach your kids about God. That's your number one. First of all, have God in your life. Secondly, it's your job to teach your kids about God. It's not actually the church's main job. You know, it's your responsibility. Now, the church exists, God's idea, to help you do that. So we have Grace Kids and we have Fuse Student Ministries that come alongside and teach your kids about God and point them to God and also usually reinforce what you're saying as a parent, which it's good for teenagers to hear another adult that they respect kind of saying the same thing that the parents are saying so they don't think their parent is absolutely insane. You know, you have that kind of a thing. So that happens. And, but that only happens, a, a, you know, a limited amount of time, a week. And, and so the first thing here is, because it's our job to teach our kids about God, we should take advantage of church. We should attend church weekly. Not most of the time, not, you know, once a month, not, you know, but we should be active in church weekly. And, and I know we've created this great online ministry, which is, was very happy, um, very helpful in 2020, 
But, and online is great, but it is not intended by God or us to replace church because Hebrews 10.25 tells us we are to gather together physically. So making church a priority, it's huge. Now, I've come across some research, brand new research that came out of the pandemic that is super interesting about church, and it's not done by a Christian agency. All right, since 2001, Gallup, a secular research group, has been polling different demographics in the United States regarding their mental health. And mental health is a big issue these days. And so they do this polling, and here's what, here's what they found out. And they're basically polling to find out how mental health changes among dem different demographics every year. So here's the two amazing things they came up with from 2020. And 2020 was kind of a challenging year. They really focused on this. Here's what they got. I want to share two things, which is amazing to me. Number one, the only group of people who said their mental health is excellent that grew as a group in 2020 is that group of people who attend weekly church services. Really interesting. This is a secular group. telling These people are not Christians, but they're, they're pointing this out. Number two. The demographic of people with the most reporting their mental health is excellent is the same group of people who attend weekly church services. And the reason they're saying weekly is they broke this down. Some people attend regularly, but not weekly. And they're saying, no, the, the people who benefited the most, the people with the best mental health are the people that make church every week, not every other week or anything else. That, to me, that's some very interesting statistics from a non-Christian research group uh, that weekly church attendance has the only positive correlation to mental health. That's huge. These are not church people saying this. This is just secular organization. Church is important. And, and I know there's pushback on that. People say, yeah, church is important, God's important, but I can worship God on the lake, and I can worship God while I'm mowing my lawn, or I can worship God sitting under a tree, or I can worship God in the mountains. Yeah, I know. I can worship God like that too. I was just doing that two weeks ago, worshiping God in the mountains. I love doing that, but that does not replace church is what God is telling us. So church is only so effective as far as helping us with parenting because it's only, you know, a couple of times a week. Sunday morning, if you have teenagers, Wednesday night. And so here's the deal. Here's what Moses is telling us. Here's what God's telling us in his law. We must teach our children in a daily routine. We must teach our kids daily. That's the way he breaks it down. That's why he's saying, hey, we need to teach our children when you're walking, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're resting, when you're eating, you're using all these as opportunities to teach your kids. You're looking, hey, you see the butterfly? Yeah, the butterfly's amazing. Yeah, because God's amazing. You see that sunrise, or your kids probably never saw a sunrise. See that sunset. You know, that sunset's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, because God did that, and he does a different one every day. You know, we are teaching our kids about God. We want to be doing that. God instructs us to teach him throughout our daily life. Now, what we tend to do is we think, well, 
I'm ready for those big teachable moments. I mean, the first time my kid gets on a school bus to go to school, you know, I'm going to tell him some stuff, and I'm going to have that teachable moment. Or, or the first time my teenager gets in a fender bender, you know, I'm ready. I'm going to use that as a teachable moment. I'm going to tie in God and the whole thing. You know, and sometimes we're ready for these big events. That's not what God's saying, and, and that can be great. But God's telling us, no, in the daily events, every day, multiple times a day, we point our children to God. Why? Why would he tell us that? Well, because we live in a culture just like they did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We live in a culture that is antagonistic toward our faith. That's never been truer in our country than now. Our country as a culture is antagonistic toward our beliefs and values. You just need to square with that because that's the way it is and it's getting worse and worse all the time. So don't let that stop you. That should motivate you. That's why we need to be teaching all day long. Don't hand off your responsibility to instruct your child to some idiot on Facebook that's communicating with them. Don't do that. You know, we always picture, you know, some guy and sitting in his boxers in his parents' basement. You know, or, but it doesn't matter if it's a teenage girl in her pajamas in her room. Don't hand this responsibility off to some stranger on Facebook. You teach daily, throughout the day, point them to God. Don't let, our, don't let the culture steal the dream of family from your kids. Because our culture is anti-nuclear family. We don't even use that term anymore, hardly, nuclear family. Don't let that happen. It's our responsibility to keep teaching about God's creation, God's truth, God's love, all day long, all through the day. And in order to do that, most parents of kids need to slow down. Slow down. Because we have our kids involved in so many things. You know, sports, music, you know, whatever it is. And hey, I love sports. And I think sports can be beneficial. I believe not so much in grade school or junior high, but I believe in high school, sports benefited me a lot. But don't let sports keep your kids out of church. You know, keep the priorities right. Or don't let multiple activities just make your life so busy that you're hardly ever spending time. So here's a rule of thumb that I would say. Try to involve your kids in activities. It's not... You know, we, we're kind of all about the experience. Prioritize relationship over experience. Try to involve your kids where more of the whole family can be involved. Do more of that and then less of where you're sending your kids off to kind of do their own thing. I think would be a benefit, might be a way. Again, nothing wrong with sports, nothing wrong with activities. Sometimes we just pile them up so high that we're doing our kids a disservice. They probably are not going to remember the soccer game from last week. Or maybe they won't remember any of their games. But they will remember the family trip that you took, where you just got in the car and went somewhere together. 
You know, leverage your time with your kids. Now, are you ready for some parenting hacks? Are you ready? Yes, some of you are ready. Some of you don't even want to hear it. Okay, here it goes. Parenting hacks. Um, Parenting hack number one, just simple things to keep in mind to help, help this go better. First one's obvious. Your number one job as a parent, point people to Jesus. Point your kids to Jesus. Number one job, point your kids to Jesus. Number two, parenting hack. Forget trying to be your child's best friend. Forget trying to get them involved in every little thing that's going on to please them. And just spend your time parenting. This is easier. Easier than being their friend. Easier than involving them in 10 activities. Just spend your time parenting them. That's hack number two. Uh, kids have to be taught. The, the problem with teaching kids is that that can be difficult because a lot of times chaos comes in, right? Uh, it's disorder. It's not going well. Kids aren't paying attention. Well, then the, there's the third point I want to make. Children must be disciplined. In order to instruct them, in order to teach them, there has to be discipline. Now, I'm going to go to the New Testament for this. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, and here's what it says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so that's, that's what we need to remember that. The discipline and instruction, because discipline takes both. And so we've got to get that right. Discipline and instruction in the Lord. And so I believe dads should take the lead here. Dads take the lead in the discipline. Some of that discipline probably needs to be physical, especially in the younger years. But, for example, spanking, you never do that in anger. So Paul tells us some interesting things here. Don't provoke your children. This is don't exercise discipline too harshly or unfairly. Sort of leads to bitterness. You know, try to be fair with that. But instead, we're always disciplining in a way that promotes relationship. And I'll try to explain that. We always discipline in a way that strengthens our relationship. So what does he say? Paul says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are different ways to discipline. But here's the deal. It's not the school's job to make your child behave. It's not the school's job to teach your kids, you know, how to be obedient. That really should come from the parents, all the teachers out there. Yeah, <laughs> preach it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really our, our job as parents, you know, to get that. And when we discipline, we change strategies with age. You know, I'm not a big timeout guy because I think sometimes that just has a kid in a corner stewing and getting angry and bitter. But here's a simple rule of thumb, and I'm just going to do this quickly. I've done this in other venues, so uh, just make this quick. There's kind of some stages. I'll, I'll just, the most simple way is there's like four stages. Number one is a discipline years, one to five. This is when most physical discipline happens right here. And so you need to, you need to make this happen. Do not give up because you're tired. One to five. 
Get your physical discipline in there. Your spanking, all that. This happens now. This is when, you, this is when they find out you're the boss. You know, you, you, and you got to have that. All right. Next stage is training years, 5 to 12. This is where we're trying to distinguish between childishness, uh, just because I'm a kid and I'm foolish, I knock the milk over, and willful disobedience, willful defiance. Those are two different things. One needs discipline. One doesn't. Right? That's the training years. That's uh, 5 to 12. And then the coaching years, 12 to 18. This is where our kids are in the arena. They're the one living the life. But we're right there on the sideline coaching them, directing them, pointing them, helping them to get it right. The coaching years up to 18. Then after 18 is the friendship years. If you do the first three right, then you'll have the friendship years. Do not try to squeeze the friendship in before this, you'll mess up your kids. Do not try to be your junior high daughter's best friend. Try to be her parent. It won't work, you know, if you do that. Don't try to bring that friendship stage in too early. And if you don't get that discipline down early, now you have this problem where people are trying to discipline teenagers. Most, 95% of your discipline should be done before they're teenagers. All of your physical discipline probably done before they're teenagers. You got, but you got, you got to do the work. You got to make that happen. All right. Next thing. When it comes to discipline, I, I see some parents freeze up, and it's because of this. Here's what I'm telling you. Do not fear your child's rejection. When you discipline your child, guess what? Your child's not going to like it. And right then, they're not going to like you. Don't freak out over that. That's okay. That's normal, right? Do not fear your child's rejection. If you fear your child's rejection, your child will figure that out and it will mess them up. You will mess up your child if they figure out, oh, I can withhold love and affection from my parents and this, I can manipulate them to do what I do. They are not equipped with that kind of power. Do not fear your child's rejection. Everybody hear that? Good. Hack number three, another hack. Parenting, it can be complicated, right? I have a way that if you want simplicity, you can parent your children with two rules. All right, two rules. Honor your mother. Don't tell lies. That's pretty, okay, that's a hack, right? Two rules. Honor your mother and don't lie because lying breaks the relationship. Honor your mother and don't lie. Hey, well, if, if dads, dads, I'm telling you, two rules. Honor your mom, don't lie. Well, what about the dads? Dads, if you do those two, they will honor you too. Honor your mother, don't lie. If you want to get it down to simple, that's simple. That was hack number three. Hack number four, if you're ever wondering, what do I discipline and what do I don't? What was just childish behavior because they're young, and what was more serious than that that I should discipline? Discipline the three Ds. They go right back to the rule I just gave you. Three Ds. Discipline dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience. Dishonesty, disrespect, dishonesty, that's that whole lying thing that we just talked about. Disrespect, that's that whole honor your mother thing. And disobedience, punish those. Hack number five, 
Discipline, remember this, discipline is not to punish, it's to restore relationship. When kids do something wrong, a lot of times they know they've done something wrong, and that brings guilt. Here's what they need. They need to hear from you, hey, this and this and this was wrong, and then here's the punishment. They receive their discipline, but after they receive the punishment, then they don't owe you anymore. Then the table is cleared. The, the, the slate is wiped off. They, they did the crime. They paid the time. And now everything's good in your relationship. You've got to make that happen. Because discipline is a way for good parents to remove guilt from their children. When we don't discipline, they know when they're guilty. But nothing ever happens. Discipline is a way where they don't have to feel guilty anymore because they paid the price. Oh, That was wrong, but I paid for that, so I don't have to feel bad for that anymore. Discipline resets the relationship when it removes the child's guilt. And so discipline may come that they have to give an apology. Do not settle for this. Sorry. That's really not an apology. An apology is something more like this. I'm sorry, Mom, for fill in the blank. Is there anything I can do to make it up to you? See, this is acknowledgement of what you've done wrong, but then it's also saying, I owe you something. So is there anything I can do? Because that's what we do when we offend people and do wrong. We owe them. That's how an apology needs to happen. So hack number four, uh, number six, this last one, and you'll think it's obvious, but it's this. Love and support your kids but never their wrong behaviors. Love your kids, support your kids, but never their wrong behaviors. Our kids need to know that we can love them without affirming every wrong thing they do, right? We can can love somebody, but part of real love is saying that's wrong. Kids need to see that modeled for them. And it's what God has done for us, right? God created us. He created us with free will. We've all rebelled. We've all disobeyed God, done wrong things. But God keeps on loving us as a heavenly father. But then God figures out a way to take our guilt away. Now, this is more serious than the things we deal with parenting. So God sends his son, Jesus, who voluntarily allows himself to be crucified. Why? Because the right judicial Punishment for our sin against God is separation from him forever. It's infinite punishment. But to fix that, God was allowed, God sent his infinite son who allowed himself to be crucified to where in a moment of time, infinite God can pay for our sins. And then the relationship is reset. The relationship is restored. We don't have to feel guilty anymore. Jesus paid for that, and we've come to him in faith. That's what it means to being a Christian. So there we go. And just wrapping up here, parenting goes so fast. I mean, from people who have already done their parenting, it's a blink. I know when you're in it, it does not feel that way. I, I get that. I know the days are long. 
But I'm telling you, the years are short. The days are long, I get that, but the years are short. Use each day to make an impact on your child. And dads, you have a huge impact on your child's life. And I know some of us guys, you know, we like to do hunting, fishing, camping, because sort of like the manly thing to do, you know. Hunting, fishing, camping, that's not manly. Providing for your child, that's manly. Actively engaged in parenting your child, that's manly. Teaching your son and daughter to honor their mom, that's manly. This weekend, we have some men from our church who are out at Boys Club Camp Out. That means they're out there with their sons and then with their son's friends, other kids at Grace who may not have a father figure in their life. And they're out there teaching those kids how to have fun with men, how to camp. That's manly. Do that. And then there's one more thing before I close. It's easy to talk about parenting, and our culture does this all the time, without talking about marriage. But it's not honest. Marriage has a huge impact on parenting. That's why we're going to talk about next. Um, sociologists found that juveniles from fatherless homes are 279% more likely to carry guns, to participate in drug trafficking than those who live with their fathers. Studies show nearly 70% of inmates did not grow up with both parents in their home. You know, not talking about the advantages of the nuclear family, which again is a term that's being extinct in our culture right now, but not talking about the advantage of that would not be honest. Let's stand and pray together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Thanks for loving us. Lord, and thanks for giving us instructions. I mean, Lord, we would just be on a sea tossed any which direction, but you are our north star. You are our compass. You have given us instructions on how to do life. And today, especially, we've been looking at how to do parenting. And God, we thank you for that because we can do parenting like what, what you've done for us as a heavenly father. Lord, help us to keep you first and to do best for our children as moms and dads. In Christ's name we pray, amen.